You're listening to the message podcast of High Ridge Church Longview, where our vision is to help you know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and ultimately make a difference. We are so glad that you're here, and we pray that this message impacts your life as you apply the spiritual truths from God's Word in practical ways. Let's listen in. Hey, welcome to everybody watching online. I bet if I say welcome, all of your High Ridge family that is here would welcome you with a big round of applause if I ask. Come on, can we do that? Welcome, welcome. If you like what you're, what you're watching today, do us a favor, click the share button, and also make sure that you talk to the people that are on the other side of that, uh, that TV screen that you're watching. I think they want to hear from you. And just It's always a cool thing to find out kind of where the message is going and where you're watching from, so open up a dialogue with us. We'd love to get to know you a little bit better. Hey, grab your Bibles if you would. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to get started today. I want to bring a message that I, uh, that I titled, My Messed Up Family. Come on, somebody say, My Messed Up Family. I said my messed up family, not, but we're going to talk about yours while we're at it. No, I think, the, I think the holidays are a time where we are hyper aware of how messed up our families are. Now, if, if you're looking at your family and say, hey, my family is amazing, then the messed up part is probably you. And this message is also for you. Uh, but whether you're single or single again, whether you're hoping to have a family or whether you've walked through a difficult season with your family... I believe that God has something important to speak to us uh, from his word today about our messed up families. We have some messed up families. One of the things that I love about this church is I get the benefit of looking out at your faces. I get the benefit of knowing many of your unique stories. And one of the ways that we get to know each other is by sharing some of the things that make us unique. Some of those are, are funny. Some of them are heartbreaking. Some of, some of those are, are lessons learned. Um, some of those are uh, amazing moments. Some of them are, are boring parts of our seeds. Some of those are hard to watch, to watch and listen to and walk through. But all of us have unique stories. There are things that I get to know about each of you that I will never tell for free. And uh, let me just tell you, if there's something that you want to know, don't Google it. You talk to the pastor. For 20 bucks. I will... <laughs> Why are you laughing? I'm serious. No, I'm just kidding. There are some unique things about our families. I can look out and, and see a, a ton of things that uh, I have a hard time sometimes keeping a straight face because I know some of your stories and I, I just think about you in terms of that. And I think that's because of one of the things that makes my, my family unique is I was raised without television, no movies, um, no radio, no, no secular, secular music of any kind. And so uh, I relate to people through stories. It's one of the things that, that helps me get to know people better. I, I, uh, I, I spent a lot of my life uh, just looking at people as my entertainment, and, uh, and that's because we didn't have any other, any other choice. Now, uh, because of that, um, we learned the art of, of storytelling and learned about reading. We read a lot, and that was a very, very short list of things that we could read, uh, but I memorized a ton of scripture. It's just kind of the way that I was, that I was brought up. Um, I didn't have a lot of the things that other kids had, but we had an active imagination, and I could tell a story, and I, I learned to be entertained with the stories that people told. And we looked forward to Sunday mornings because that was a time I got to hear some new information because um, I'm creatively very, very stifled in a very controlled environment. Now, one of the things that I loved about my family is that my dad would tell us stories every single night, bedtime stories, and I looked forward to it because that was our entertainment. And my dad is an incredible storyteller. I used to love the things that he would come up with. And for most of my, my, my young life, I thought that they were all original. 
And uh, I didn't realize till much later that things that he was telling us um, were actually movies and TV shows that he got to watch that we didn't get to watch. <laughs> and so what would happen is, you know, we were, well, there's no television allowed in our house, but my, my dad was a pastor and he would uh, go to pastor's meetings and he would find, uh, you know, the, the cool pastor to room with. And they'd be like, hey, are you cool? You're like, I'm cool too. Let's watch TV. And then <laughs> this is where my dad would get all the stories that he would tell us kids. And so for 10 or 12 nights, he would do this, this long extended story time where we would get, get small segments of these stories that I thought were original. And he would start like, let me tell you the story about this little kid. His name is Daniel. And Daniel and his mom moved into Reseda, California, into this rundown apartment complex. And then he falls in love with this girl that he meets and, and he's, he's having an awkward time in high school. And then he gets started, he gets, he gets bullied by a group of these karate kids. Until he meets this maintenance man who's a very uh, powerful, amazing karate master that just happens to be working at this apartment complex that takes Daniel under his wing. I'm like, this story is amazing. <laughs> and then the first time I was an adult and I got to watch Karate Kid, I'm like, wait a minute, my childhood has come crashing down. And he would tell me the stories. There was this guy that was a Vietnam veteran. He's go walking through this town as a hitchhiker and a police officer picks him up and they begin to bully him. And all of a sudden you realize he's this, it's Rambo. I'm like, what an amazing story. It's so vivid, the details. Like, I, I love this story. I saw this story way before I saw the movie. And I thought, wait a minute, they owe my dad some royalties. But it's one of the things that makes my family unique is that we, we could tell stories or just act like we created them and we're holier than thou. <laughs> and there are times where, uh, where I, I've shared before, my dad would pick us up from school in a, in a white work van. And uh, it, it, it was okay on the outside, but the inside there was just two chairs in the front and the rest of us had to sit on buckets. And because my dad did a lot of painting, we had just had my favorite bucket and we just hold on to the shelves on each side of the inside of the van and hope that we don't get into a car accident because this is the way it was. And I remember the, one of the first times I, I uh, had a date with a girl and my dad picked us up and was driving us to the mall together and she was like, where should I sit? I'm like, pick a bucket. You know, I'll move our buckets next to each other. It's gonna get romantic in here. It's... Turn that dome light on and like, you know, get the mood just right. You know, my dad's driving that old work van and sitting on a bucket. It's one, it's one of the things that makes our family unique. My parents are probably watching this, so they can verify all of it. It happened, I'm just telling you. It's unique. And one of the reasons why we have so many unique stories is, is just because we had a strange family life, as did you. There are things that make us unique. There are things that make you unique. Now, some of those things are, like I said, embarrassing. They're funny. Some of those, maybe not so much. Some of those are things that we like to hide. We don't talk about at parties. We don't talk about a lot. They're, they might be tense conversation pieces around the holiday dinner table. But nevertheless, it's part of our history. Here's the thing we know about Jesus. Jesus had a family history that was just as messed up as yours. Just as messed up as mine. And I love that when, that when they record the genealogy of Jesus and his family dynamic, that it, it doesn't just start with Jesus' ministry at the age of 30, but they tell us where he came from. They give us the origin story behind Jesus, and you're like, wow, that's not the one I would have chosen. Jesus had some unique stories that, uh, that by the way, Luke captures very well. Uh, the Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus' family left him at church and then left town. Forgot he wasn't with them. He got left behind 
for three days. Now, can you imagine being God the Father, sending your one and only begotten Son, trusting two people to be his earthly parents, to care for him, and they lose him for three days. Now, you thought your childhood was a little messed up. Think about that. Did you ever get lost for three days? Then they find him in church, and he's a little weird. He's 12 years old. They're like, what are you doing to us? Do you have any idea? We're looking for you everywhere. He's like, you knew I was going to be in church. It would be about my father's business. Like, your father's business is about to be painted red. (laughs) Jesus had a, a, a little not ideal home life. And I love that the Bible doesn't hide that. I love that, that Matthew records the beginning of his gospel. Uh, he records the genealogy of Jesus. And in the genealogy of Jesus, we find a lot of people that uh, were heroes and a lot of people that were zeros. We find the good, the bad, and the ugly. We find a family history that some of us would just omit. Now today, we look at you know, things like Ancestry.com and you can take your DNA and kind of figure out where you came from and see if you're related to any serial killers. Anybody ever done that? No, just me. Crime Watch, nobody? Liars. But that's how they find serial killers today. You didn't know that? Ancestry.com, all this stuff. They see who's related to who. You're like, maybe somebody in my family killed somebody. I wouldn't put it past us. I know my family tree. But in Jesus' time, that lineage would be way more important than today. It's not just a curiosity. It's not something that we do for fun. It's something that was tracked very, very religiously because it mattered where you came from and who you came from. And in this process, Matthew begins to record and does something a little bit different. See, he doesn't just record the names of the men in Jesus' ancestry. He records five women as well. As a matter of fact, out of those five women, four women... They're not Israelites. They're not Jewish. They're Gentiles. And he includes that. He's, he's not shy. I love that the Bible doesn't just whitewash the things that we wouldn't prefer. And it gives us a good insight on the ancestry of Jesus himself. I want to pick it up starting in uh, chapter 1. Just read through these 16 verses. And we're going to kind of do a little history lesson for just a second. I'm, I'm going to pause uh, on just a few of the names we, we could pick out and kind of show you some of the ancestry of Jesus in a new light, if that's all right. It says this in verse one, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham is the father of our faith. The Bible says that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The Bible tells us that Abraham became a friend of God. And God made a covenant with Abraham and he said, I'm gonna bring my son through your seed. As a matter of fact, all the nations of the world are gonna be blessed because you're going to be the great, great, great grandfather that I'm going to entrust your lineage with, with my son, the gift to the world. Abraham was a friend of God. But let's not, not, let's not forget that Abraham also introduced his wife as his sister. Now, depending on what part of the country you're from, that may or may not be frowned upon. But you got to admit, at least it's weird. Abraham begat, and it's, if you ever see the word begat, this means was the father of. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, who had some issues, might be the world's first con man. The Bible says Jacob was the father of Judah, 
And we know Jesus to be the lion of the tribe of Judah. He comes from, from Judah, but let's not forget that Judah sold his brother into slavery. Did he not? So here we have a slaver that the father God uses to bring his own son through Judah. His name means praise, but his actions were less than stellar. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and Judah's got some issues. It says Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. By the way, these are two people, the sons of Judah, that were so evil, God killed them. It says this about those boys that uh, they were evil. Their mother was Tamar. By the way, uh, Tamar, when she loses her husband, doesn't want the seed to die. So she dresses up like a prostitute and has an incestuous relationship with her father-in-law. That's something we don't talk about at the holiday table. Like, mm. let's, let's, let's ignore that. But it's here. It's here. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon or Salmon or Salmon, depending on what part of the country you're from. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. By the way, strange theology right there with Rahab. Rahab was a, a, a prostitute that was righteous. I can't figure that out. They don't teach a lot of lessons on that in seminary, but yet we see it. A prostitute that God uses to do amazing things. Interesting. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And by the way, Ruth is a Moabite. Moabite was not a descendant from Abraham, but a descendant from Abraham's nephew, Lot, who had an incestuous relationship with his own daughters, uh, who came in under, underneath a, a lot of punishment from the Lord. So here is a Moabite that God still uses to bring about the ancestry of his son. Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David, who was a man after God's own heart, a man whom we owe a lot of royalties because we steal a lot of his psalms and make worship songs out of them, an amazing man who killed Goliath, led a country, and had a lot of issues. He had a lot of issues with his kids. He had a lot of issues with his own sexuality. He had a lot of issues with disobedience. He's an adulterer. He's a He's a murderer. Let's not forget. David was the father of Solomon, who had been uh, Uriah's wife. This is Bathsheba, a roof bather. And depending on what part of the country you're from, that, that's frowned upon too. It's at least a little weird. And Solomon, of course, the wealthiest and wisest person to ever live on the planet, but also had some major issues. Had some mental health struggles. Definitely had some, a lot of sexual sin. Had a thousand wives. That means he's got problems. He... He couldn't have had a lot of hair. You're going to need to be that wealthy to have a thousand wives. Somebody say amen. That's a big Christmas. Solomon, uh, the father of Rehoboam. Uh, Rehoboam, by the way, uh, David's grandson had major issues, uh, major daddy issues. The country ends up revolting against him. They think he's going to be as wise and as, as smart and as amazing as his dad, and he, he is not. The apple falls far from the tree. The country revolts against him. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, the Bible just lists him as a wicked king. Abijah, the father of Asa, who was a good king, uh, brought peace back to God's people, lived upright before the Lord. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, who was a good king, but constantly disobeyed God, constantly made alliances with God when God told him, don't make alliances with these people, you just trust me, and he just wouldn't do it. And for some reason, God just still loved him. It's almost like 
God's like, he's stupid, but I love him. He makes dumb decisions, but he's a good guy. And that gives me a lot of hope. I don't know. <laughs> that gives me a lot of hope when you look at it. Like he, he doesn't always make the right decision, but his heart's in the right place. He does dumb things, but he's a good guy. And this is kind of what we see about his, his reign. The Bible says that Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, who was uh, the most wicked king uh, of all the kings of Judea. He's so wicked, he sacrifices his own son to a false god. He, he burns his children in the fire. Um, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, um, I'm sorry, uh, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, who was a good king. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, who undid all the good that his father had done and leads the country right back into idol worship. Um, history tells us that he's probably the king that had Isaiah murdered. And so he's uh, anti-God. Uh, Manasseh was the father of uh, Ammon. Ammon was an evil king that uh, only reigned for two years because he got assassinated by his own people that couldn't stand him. Ammon, the father of Josiah, who by the way became king at eight years old and did amazing things at eight years old turns the country back to the heart of God, declares repentance and um, time of fasting. He rediscovers the law and says, man, we have violated some, we've gotten off onto a horrible track. Let's get God's people back into the presence of God. Let's do what's right. And God honors that and, and takes care of a little king and makes him into an amazing leader. Josiah's the father of Jeconia, who undid everything that his dad had done and led the country into a ton of rebellion, disobedience which caused them to be overtaken by Babylon again. So they lead the country back into slavery because of their disobedience uh, and gets cursed by God in the process. Um, Jeconia then was, uh, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconia was the father of Sheltiel, Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was a fantastic leader who rebuilt Solomon's temple after it had been burned and destroyed. Now, those that knew Solomon's temple knew it was amazing and it was huge and it was great. He rebuilds a, a much smaller version. And some people are like, oh, you know, I remember when it was much bigger. This, this one's okay. But here's the cool thing. God loves Zerubbabel and loved what he had done to the best of his ability, even though it was smaller. The Bible tells us that the glory of the latter house was gonna be better than the, the former house. So God's presence filled it even more, even though it was smaller. And that's a cool thing. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. And by the way, now it gets, in, gets into people that we don't know anything about. They're just normal people. So we've gone from kings and fantastic leaders and wicked people and great people and horrible people and awesome people. And now we just get into people. Abihud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but I'm gonna do it with a lot of confidence. It sounds good. Uh, Zadok, the father of Akim Elijahwan, Akim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, I got that one, Jacob, the father of Joseph, Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. I think it's interesting that we look at the, the lineage of Jesus and think about the people that God used to bring about his own son, the redemption for the world. We would look at our, our ancestry. We think sometimes, man, God, if you could use anybody, I guess you could use my family. Now, when I look at uh, my own ancestry and you look at my, uh, my, my great-grandparents and my great-great-great-grandparents, my there are some that I'm very proud of and other stories that you're like, ooh, awkward. You have any of those? Is it you? 
I remember the first time that I met my Uncle Quimble. I call him Uncle Quimble. He's actually my great Uncle Quimble, my grandfather's brother. And uh, it's the first time I'd ever met someone who had cirrhosis of the liver. He had had so much alcohol that his skin turned yellow. He looked like a highlighter. I'm not even kidding. Eyes yellow, skin yellow. And uh, of course, when when you're a kid, you automatically want to figure out like, tell me your origin story. How do you become completely yellow? And so he tells me all the stories of him and my grandfather, and, and, uh, and he tells me something that my, my grandfather was the first person to ever run a mile in under five minutes. Now, people do that all the time now, but at the time, um, he was one of the first people to do it. And I thought, well, how did they find out he was so fast? He said, well, we were running liquor. We were bootleggers, and this is what we did. We ran liquor. Uh, we didn't have a lot of choice and had to be fast, and uh, it's just the way that things were. And so I asked him about uh, about prohibition, asked him about all the stories. And then, of course, you couldn't help but notice that my great uncle Quimble had only half of an ear. This whole top part of his ear was gone. I'm like, hey, could you tell me the, the backstory of, about the ear? Is this a deformity? He said, no, uh, I got into a fight and the guy bit it off. What? Like, seriously? He said, yes. He, I got into a fight in a bar. We'd get liquored up and we'd start fighting. And I got in a fight with this guy and he bit off my ear. I'm like, he bit off your ear. I said, yes. I thought Tyson was the first. Apparently not. <laughs> bit off his ear. I said, well, what'd you do to him? He said, I took his eye. Like, that explains a lot of why I feel the way I feel sometimes when I get angry. Then I spoke to uh, the, the history on my mother's side of the family. I have a, a, a grandmother and a grandfather that were married uh, before they were even uh, out of their teens. Like These are like 12, 13, 14, 15 the age where they're married and their, their, their relationship was incredibly abusive. Domestic violence was part of it. And my grandfather um, just passed away last year, but had a scar on his nose where my grandmother bit it off. Oh. Like it runs in our family, apparently. Cannibalism is <laughs> part of... Bit it off. I didn't know that was a thing, but it does explain a lot of the way that I feel. It's part of my history. I want to bring a little bit of encouragement to some messed up families today. We've all got a little bit of history that's messed up. We got some things that are embarrassing, some things that we'd rather not talk about, but it's part of who we are. For anybody that doesn't have the perfect family, for those of us that are willing to at least be honest enough to admit our families aren't perfect, for those that might be struggling a little bit with their family, I think this message is for you. And so I want to bring you three things that I believe that we can see from Matthew chapter one that will help encourage a messed up family. Here's the first thing I want to share with you that I think will encourage you is that number one, even according to Jesus, every family has flaws, even Jesus's. Every family has flaws. Now you would think when you're looking at the lineage of Jesus that this would be a list of names that are the best of us. The most righteous the smartest, the most benevolent, but it's not. You're going to find kings and poor people. You're going to find wisdom and foolishness. You're going to find righteousness and sin. You're going to find purity in people like Mary. And you're going to find deviance in the midst of all of our human flaws we find people that God still used to do amazing things. 
I think that we, uh, we get consumed as a, as a culture, as a people. Part of the thing that we do in our world today is, is we try to hide and whitewash everything. I know this to be true that there's a, there's a day coming at some point where everything just comes to light. You might as, you might as well come, come to grips with it because there is very little difference anymore between your private life and your public life. At some point, it's going to come out. It's called the internet. People can find it. There are cameras in everybody's pocket. Now, I'm thankful I didn't grow up in that time because there are some things you're just going to have to take my word for. But here we see God using people that have incredible flaws. And Matthew and Mark, Luke and John don't hide those flaws. They present it with honesty. Every family has flaws. I want to say it this way. In the world of filters, we hide our flaws perfectly. And I think that brings up a lot of, uh, a lot of problems. I think the, the, the way that we hide our flaws keeps us from being in real relationship with people because people can't relate to you. There's no honesty. There's no really, uh, really strong bonds that can form when we're not really telling the truth. When the, when the answer to every question is, I'm fine, I'm good, working hard, well, I'm tired. How you doing? I'm tired. <laughs> I get it. We're all getting older. Nobody's getting younger. Except for Wayne Newton. What's up with that guy? That... <laughs> Weird. But we will gloss over the fact that we're, we're not well. We have some struggles. And it keeps us from great relationships with people. Here's the thing. It keeps us from a great relationship with the Lord. I want to remind you of what can happen when you get honest before the Lord. There's a great scripture in Psalm 145. It says, the Lord is near to all who call on him. I believe that we all, all of us believe that. That God is near when you call upon him. But look at the second part. Those who call on him in, say the next word again. Say it again. In truth. So here the Bible links honesty and God's presence together. Honesty and God's presence. So do you want God near to you? Call on him in truth. I think that's one of the things that, uh, we could use a little work on. Here's the second thing I want to encourage you with for those that are willing to be honest about the fact that we've got some messed up families. Here's number two. The only approval that matters is God's. The only approval that matters is God's. I didn't get to choose my ancestry. I don't get to choose it. But I can allow the Lord to redeem it. I can't say, God, this is who I am. Warts and all. Mistakes and all, flaws and all, cannibalism and all. It's who I am. And if you can use anything, you can use me. I didn't choose this. Think about this. This is what I want to show you today. Uh, Jesus is the only person in history that chose his family history. He chose the messed up ones. He chose the ones with flaws. He chose the ones with sins. He chose the good and the bad and everything in between. He chose imperfect people as his ancestry. And he's the only one that gets to choose that. You didn't choose it. You can't choose the, the blood that's running through your veins, but you do get to choose the blood of Jesus. Let me say it this way. Uh, you didn't choose the legacy you were born into, but you do get to choose the legacy you leave behind. 
This is where the encouragement happens. Can't do anything about that. But I can do something about this. When we allow ourselves to be redeemed by the blood that Jesus shed for us, and all of a sudden that same DNA that runs through us gets something different. Here's the thing. I wish... I wish I'd written this down because this was good. God's family is the only family you can't be born into. You have to be reborn into. So that we can say, yeah, that ran in my family until it ran into Jesus. Where God redeems and says, I approve of that family. Why? Because it's under the blood of Jesus. God took all the sins of the world out on his perfect son. All of our imperfections, all of our sin, all of our mistakes and embarrassments. Jesus paid the price for those. So I didn't choose my legacy, but I can choose the one that I leave behind. Here's the third and final thing I want to encourage you with. For those of us that are willing to say we've got some messed up families, here's number three. My family isn't perfect, but it's perfectly able to be used by God. If we listen to our history, if we listen to our mistakes, if we look at our imperfect children and imperfect grandchildren, we will dismiss The amazing potential, the great things that God can do with imperfect people. You know, I am so glad that my God is not intimidated by messy. I'm so glad that being perfect was never a prerequisite for being used by God. I am thankful that God doesn't call perfect people. He says, I was perfect enough for you. What a beautiful picture of God the Father looking at us and seeing something beautiful in the midst of our mess. I love, I love the story of what God has done for mankind. It's the greatest love story of all time. And I love that God did it through imperfect people, messy people, messy families, just like mine and just like yours. I'll say it this way, Jesus entered the world through the messiness of the human family and he still does. And he still wants to. Jesus wants to impact the world through the messiness of your family. But here's the thing. I believe that our God and all of his love and all of his mercy and all of his grace, all the potential that you have in your family Those things are not things that God is going to force you into. God doesn't force his way into your family. He wants to be invited. He wants us to make the choice of allowing him the freedom to take our mess and redeem it. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens by choice. I was reading this scripture that uh, in, in Joshua. Joshua was the one that God tasked him with leading God's people into the promised land. And he makes this speech right as he's bringing God's people across the the river Jordan. He's bringing them into the promised land. He's like, hey, just one last reminder. He said, when we get there, we're going to have to make some choices. You need to make some choices here before you get there. And he tells tells them this. He says, choose for yourselves this day whom you're going to serve. But as for me and my household... We're going to serve the Lord. Now, you may have seen this at your grandma's house on a gold plaque, uh, something that Home Interior made, and it's on the hallway uh, wall, uh, right? You've, you've seen this scripture. Lots of people use it. 
Um, the older you get, the better the scripture looks, right? This is the household we're gonna serve the Lord. I think many of us have read this so many times that we forget the powerful meaning that's there. We forget the impact that it needs to have on each of our families and our lives. I believe that most of us, when we look at this scripture, we would say, choose for yourselves this day whom you're gonna serve. But as for me and my house, we believe in the Lord. I believe that we foolishly read that and think, yeah, this household is a household of people that believe in God. But that's not what it says. There's a big difference between believing in and serving. Think about that. When I ask my children to clean the room, I don't expect to come back in about, you know, about an hour and then say, you know what, Dad? I believed in what you said. This is a room that believes in you. Come on. It doesn't say, as for me and my household, we will believe in the Lord. It says we will serve. Serving is a choice. I wonder how many of us could be challenged in our families to do more than just be a household of those that believe in the Lord, but actually serve the Lord. Now, there are, of course, a, a, a million different opportunities to serve in this church and other churches and other nonprofits. Our city is in desperate need of help. There are lots of places that you can serve. But I think many of us will disqualify our own selves from serving because we've got issues or we've got this or we've got that or we're busy or we've got, all, you know, I got this and I got that and we can't do that. And we never end up giving anything actually, never give anything back. So I want to finish off um, this message with a challenge. I want to challenge some parents in the room. I want to challenge some of those that are single, some of those that are single again. For those that are single, I want to challenge you to build your foundation of your family on a better foundation than the one you had. I want to challenge those that are single again to try to repair the foundation. So I want to give you an end of the year challenge and it's up to you whether or not you take it, but I do think this is going to help you end the year strong and make next year the best year your family's ever seen. I want to challenge you with three things. Three things. And see if you'll take it. Here's the first thing I want to challenge you with. Uh, number one, if you're a note taker, I want you to pray with your family, not for your family. I think most believers in this place pray for their family. You pray for your children, you pray for your... But very few actually pray with them out loud. And if you've never done this before, let me, just, let me warn you, it's going to get weird. You're going to say some things that you're like, I, who is this person? I don't know. And you might start praying for your children out loud, and it, 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 it's like, my, I, and I, 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 are you speaking in tongues? Is that, is that Hebrew? <laughs> what, what is that? It's going to get weird. If you've never done this before, it gets a little weird. But I want you to know that it, when, we're, when we're looking at Scripture, we don't see silent prayer. That's kind of an American thing. That, that's, not, that's not biblical. That's something that we kind of made up. Well, I'm just going to sit here in, in silent prayer. Now, prayer, has a, prayer has a voice. It has a sound. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying we made that up. Pray with your family. I want to encourage you, if you've never prayed spouse to spouse before, pray with your spouse out loud. Is it going to be weird? Absolutely. Is it going to be powerful? Absolutely. It develops intimacy. It strengthens your faith. This is how, how we do spiritual warfare together. You need this. You need this bond. Pray with your children out loud over them. Ask them to pray with you. 
Tell them things that you need help with. Say, would you pray for me about this? It's good for you. I want to challenge you to step up in your leadership, to take some personal responsibility for the spiritual health of your family. Please look at me. Please look at me. You didn't come here to just hear a few jokes and some funny stories. I'm going to challenge you because you need this. Your family needs to get strong. I can't do that for you. You've got to take some personal responsibility for your family. That's not going to be done with the absence of courage. It's not going to happen by accident. It's going to be some people that actually believe that I'm going to do more than just believe. I'm going to serve my family. I'm going to lead them in the ways of the Lord. I challenge you to do it. Here's the second thing I want to challenge you with. To lead by example, not just speeches. Lead by example, not just speeches. You know, being a youth pastor for a long time and then being a college pastor, I had a, a, a lot of my ministry was spent undoing the damage of the words that people said that called themselves believers and then how it didn't line up with their actions. We are not those people. I want to encourage you and challenge you. You go first. Lead by example. Your children will see more Jesus by what you do than what you say. Lead by example, not just by speeches. And lastly, I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you with this, to, to give as a family, not as individuals. Give as a family. This shows your children what's most important to invest in. Where does our money go as a family? We've forgotten the biblical uh, principles about money. And one of the worst things you can do to your children is not teach them how to manage money and how to honor God with their money. So when things like December 18th, our Legacy Sunday come along, I wanna encourage you, don't just say, I'm gonna give something, I'm just gonna be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Do it as a family. Let your children watch you be generous. Let your children watch you lead the way and say, I value the house of the Lord. I value what we get as a church family. This is where we serve, this is where we give, this is where we honor the Lord by giving the first fruits of what we bring. We, it's a joy to give here. Your children need to see that. Your children need to see that. You're instilling things that they can't get anywhere else. The world's not gonna teach your children how to pray. The world's not gonna teach your children how to lead by example. The world is not gonna teach your children how to give and honor the Lord with their finances. You show them that. So I wanna, I wanna encourage you, hey, I wanna, I wanna challenge you to end the year strong so that next year is the greatest year your family has ever seen. I think it's important, it's good for you. Why? Because we got some messed up families. We all do. But that doesn't have to be the end of the story. We've got a good God that wants to be invited into your family. So there's your challenge. Let me just speak to the men for a moment. Men, it's time. Lead your family. You go first. Be a man. Be a godly man. And as your pastor, I want to challenge you. Pray with your wife out loud. Don't be a coward. Take the authority that God has given you. Pray with your wife. Pray over your children. Don't leave that to your, to your wife to do. You go first. It's good for you. You still with me? I want to finish up right there. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Put away your Bibles and your phones for just a moment. And if you're watching online, you've enjoyed what we've seen today. Would you do us a favor and click that share button and 
share this message with some other people in the world that's got some messed up families too. I believe that God's word brings hope into any situation. God's word brings clarity into our mess. And today, we're gonna pray for your messed up family. For every person within the sound of my voice, I think if we would be honest today, we would all say, I could use some prayer for my family. Things are not perfect. Circumstances may be uh, pretty painful. You're hyper aware of it. And I believe the Lord cares deeply about your family. He wants to help you. So right where you are, I want to invite you to pray with me. What I like to do when someone's praying for me, I like to just open up my hands. Almost as if someone was handing me a gift. I want to pray for your family. Father, right now, we bring our situations, Lord, that are full of pain and regret and mistakes and failure, deep wounds, negative words, horrific circumstances that we don't like to talk about a lot. We bring all of our mistakes and our faults, our hurts and our wounds. We bring them to the one place and the one person that can handle it, you. We lay these things at your feet. And Father, we say, Jesus, in spite of our mess, we are grateful that you still love us, that you've called us out of darkness and into your light. And Lord, we lay our families at your feet. We ask on behalf of our children and grandchildren, on behalf of our parents, we ask for help. For some, it looks like a financial need. For others, there's health issues. For even more still, there's some painful separation of family members. Father, I pray that you would be the God of restoration, the God of healing that your word says that you are. I pray that you would come and move and strengthen these families, bring them hope as they put their trust in you. In Jesus' name. And now with heads bowed and eyes closed, perhaps you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, if I'm going to be honest with you, I don't really have a relationship with Jesus. I'd like to do that. I'd like to have a relationship with Jesus. My friend, you're in the right place. I'm glad you're watching. I'd like to help you like somebody helped me one time by leading you in a prayer. I'll tell you what to say if you'll take the step of praying with me. The prayer goes like this. Just pray with me. It goes like this. Just say, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that you came and died. I believe you rose from the grave so that I could have life and forgiveness for all of my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Take over my life. If you can use anything, use me. I don't want to live my life my way anymore. So I give my life to you right now. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, my friend, if that was you and you prayed that prayer with me, can I just see your hand all across this place? Lift it up nice and high and proud. Anybody today? If you're watching online, there's a number appearing on your screen as well. The number is 844-HRC-TEXT. Would you do me a favor and, and text the words I prayed? If you prayed that prayer with me, text us. I want to send you the link to some things that will help you understand what just happened in your heart and what to do next. It'd be my great joy to help you on your journey to know Jesus better. Good for you. Proud of you. 
Well, Highbridge family, go ahead and look up at me, then stand to your feet if you would. It's been such an honor bringing God's word to you here today. I hope and pray that you were encouraged and challenged a little bit. I pray that this is the year that you finish strong, finish well, your family needs you. I'm gonna invite our elders and their wives forward to be available to pray with you about any situation that you might need prayer for. I think it's foolish to leave a house of prayer and not get prayed for if you need prayer. So it's free. These are an, an amazing group of people that love to pray and that God hears them when they pray. If you need help, get prayer. We would love to pray for you. For everyone else, I want to remind you, December 18th is coming. This is our Legacy Sunday. I want you to be praying between now and then of what the Lord would have you to give and just be obedient to whatever God tells you to do. Invite your family, invite your spouse to be a part of that with you. Ask God to speak to you as a family. It's a powerful thing when God begins to order your steps as a family. It's good for you. Don't let the enemy cheat you out of that. It's powerful. It's good. For everyone else, I want to bless you and send you out as we go. Let me pray for you. Father, would you bless my friends with an incredible week following after you all week long in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. God bless you as you go. Have an amazing week. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our prayer is that you are encouraged and strengthened by the message. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review wherever you're listening. If you want to be a part of our online community, connect with us through Facebook or Instagram with the handle at HighRidgeLV, or you can check out our website at HighRidgeLV.com. Lastly, if this ministry has impacted your life and you'd like to support its work, visit HighRidgeLV.com give. We appreciate your support and we're believing with you today for God's best in your life. Have an incredible week and we will see you next time.